Welcome to VS Voices. I'm Amanda Decadene. In this episode, I speak with designer and activist Stella McCartney about long-term marriage and parenting, what it's like building a truly sustainable brand, and how the loss of her mother from breast cancer inspired her work with Stella Cares. All right, let's go. Come on, Amanda. It's, by the way, I love you and I miss you. It's so nice to see you and you're great. So nice to see you. Full transparency that we know each other for many, many years since we are young people. Yeah. Um, and so I definitely have a biased opinion of Stella, of you, because mm. I've known you a very long time and I just love and adore you. Likewise. So, I got you, sister. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we have got you. history. We really do. I was thinking about the first time I remember seeing you as an adult and it was in Dean Street and you were about to do your first show <gasps> for St. Martin's and I was talking to you and you said, yeah, I'm, I've got, I'm showing these slips. I've got slips from Portobello Market and I'm redoing them and my girlfriends are going to wear them and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do a mix of that and light suits. And I was like, oh, my God, that's perfect. Stella is going to take the slip look and turn it into her own gorgeous thing. Gonna own the and slip. I never got one of those slips, but I remember that show very but well. But I like the way that I just said, oh, some of my friends are going to model it. And it happened to be Naomi Campbell, Kate Moss, Yasmin yeah. LeBron. Yeah. Who else? It was all those amazing girls. So understated. Oh my God. All those amazing girls. You know, actually, it's funny. Kate um, found one of those in a vintage store the other day and she bought You're it. Kidding. The one that she Aww. wore. She was like, I had to buy it because I wore it. So Oh, cute. my God. That is so They're lovely. Still, so I have you... to say, it's all coming back now, babe. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you are one of the most grounded people that I know, especially. You are. You're Aww. one of the most grounded, famous people that I know. Oh. And it's true. And... I'm wondering I'll what you that. would attribute your ability to stay so right sized to. Is it? Do you think it was to do with your childhood and how you grew up? Well, I'll take that as a really big compliment because... It is. Yeah, I mean, thank you. I do. Like, I let that, I take that. That's important to me. But I don't, I don't affect that and I don't fake that. So maybe that's why it comes across as being genuine. Uh, I don't know. You know, I think... I have to put it down to my parents and my upbringing. And I think they were so sort of, they had such different upbringings that maybe in the middle it meant that it was going to be normal because neither of them were normal. Um, and I think that I had, you know, a lot of siblings and we also, it's funny, like when the whole kind of COVID thing happened and everyone went into isolation, for me it was really normal because I feel like I grew up with self-isolation as a choice as a kid, like we grew up on a farm in Scotland. We were quite healthily removed from the scene that we, you know, we were on the kind of outskirts of. My mum and dad were very conscious to sort of pull us out of that. So everyone else in that, all the other kids were, were really in the scene and kind of, you know, and I think that maybe, I don't really know is the answer to your question. I went to a local comprehensive school. I went to a normal state school. And I think that was a big help because there was never sort of any smoke blown up my ass. You know, there was never an idea that I was better than anyone. In fact, it was kind of worked to your disadvantage in a state school. So I think, and also when you're, when you grow up with parents in the public eye, you're so self-aware 
and you're so aware of people's prejudgment and sort of, you know, walking into a room and other people already having made up their mind about you. So I think anyway, a lot of elements, but I'd say parents and probably school. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Have you ever done an interview where people don't talk to you about your family? Actually, it's a miracle. And well, you know, I, I chose a career on purpose that wasn't in the same line of work as my mum and dad. And it also is a career that's sort of behind the camera, you know, like you again. Yes. One that really, especially at the time in the 90s, fashion designers, there were only a few that were kind of really, you know, recognizable and kind of iconic. The, the majority of them were, were providing a service behind the um, the screen, you know. So it, it, um, it was always my, my decision to sort of, I didn't mind getting known or recognized for my career choice, but I didn't want to be known outside of that. So I didn't do a lot of telly. I didn't do a lot of sort of media that would have exposed me into a different kind of um, audience, I guess. So um, the beginning of my career, everything was dad, 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 mum, mum. You know, every headline was, oh, with a little help from her friends or, oh, you know, everything was that and all the kind of judgment was that. And then I started to kind of, I had some kind of longevity and so then it became about my work. And now actually it, it's very rare that they bring up my family actually and my, my kind of upbringing because now it's mostly about sustainability and sort of the fashion industry and, I, you know, I think I represent in my industry something so specific that nobody else really does. And I've been doing it for 25 years now that, um, yeah, they talk less about that, actually. I'm kind of ready for them to talk about it now. I feel confident enough now that I could talk about it more. Isn't that a great feeling to know yeah. that you, you know, that your work speaks for itself and that the longevity you've had, you have, when it kind of tips the other way and it's, it's undoubtedly about you and your talent. It's such, a, yeah. it must be such a good feeling when that yeah. happened. It happened a while ago, but, and I was very aware of it happening. I was like, oh, this is amazing. They haven't asked me 99% of the questions aren't about my, you know, family upbringing. Yeah, it is amazing. I feel very, very lucky actually to have sort of crossed over into that. It's, it feels like it's a rare thing and I feel very, very lucky actually to have done that. Yeah. So let's talk about I, dad. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about your dad. Okay, so um, <laughs> no, let's talk about, let's talk about the, the image mm. of marriage that your parents gave you mm. because they were married for 29 years, yeah. which is you know, a, an amazing amount of time. Yeah. And you've been married for 18 years. I've been married for 15, but with Nick for 20. Um, yeah. So both of us wow. are in long-term marriages. But do you think that your own marriage was modeled after what you saw growing up? Because most people don't yeah. know it's possible to be married that long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I'm actually shocked at those numbers because you don't obviously think it every day. You're not living those numbers. So I'm not, you know, I can't believe I've gotten to 18 and I've known now for 20 as well. Um, yeah, I think obviously my mum and dad were so sort of rare again in, in the environment they were in, in, in rock and roll. That even feels like that you're not even really allowed to have a long-term marriage if you're in that kind of world. It's sort of reserved for, for people that aren't exposed to, to media exposure. Right. But um. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Alistair's parents were married for a huge amount of time and stayed married until, you know, until his father passed away. 
So I think that both of us had pretty good standards to kind of look to and, and, um, yeah, you know, we're real kind you know, family is the most important thing for us and, and our kids for sure. And being the best parents we can be. I mean, I'm sure it's the same for you, you know, we're, and, and we didn't grow up with our parents doing that on purpose. I think we're a different generation of parents. You know, my mom and dad were great parents, but we got dragged to every party and it was, you know, you'd open the door at two o'clock and be like, mom, can we go home? And it was David Bowie and Iggy Pop. And, it, you know, we didn't have that kind of structure that we have probably for our kids. Um, well, you say that. I mean, interestingly enough, you know, Atlanta, when I had Atlanta, I was 19 and she had more of that kind of lifestyle where she just came everywhere with me. Yeah. So she was the kid asleep at two o'clock, mm. you know, on the kitchen, you know, chairs at someone's house, you know. And I think that's great. I kind of, I'm kind of annoyed. I'm trying to claw a bit of that into Back my in. kid's life because it's like, oh, really? Like you don't see people getting trashed or you don't like it's good. It's healthy to see a bit of a mess. It's healthy yes. to stay up a bit late and fall asleep in a restaurant. Yes. It's, you know, yes. I think we have to, it's finding that balance. I, I am constantly trying to question it because my kids don't go to a state school and I am living in London. And so it's kind of like, oh, you know. But, you know, I think and I hope that 99% of it is just love and knowing that you're unconditionally loved and knowing that, you know, I think my kids will say, I hope that we are definitely, they are definitely the most important thing in, in my life and in Alistair's life for sure. That's incredible. If they can come away with that feeling, that's what we want, If they don't, want, I will right? beat it into them, essentially. Yeah, I know, I know. I don't think my, I don't know that mine feel that. But, well, um, they're not going to tell I you. Go back. My kids probably don't feel that, but I'm telling myself that they do because it makes me feel so much better. Oh my God, doesn't, it does feel better to think that. <laughs> yeah. Lying but, to yourself is a miracle. Let's do it more. So let's talk about Alistair because it takes a certain kind of man to be married to a woman who is like you or me, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say neither of our husbands a are lucky sort of man? passive. Is the word lucky what you're looking for? Yes. A really very lucky, lucky, lucky man. Very fucking lucky. <laughs> fucking lucky. <laughs> it, is a, it is someone who is confident in themselves, who is able to be married to a woman who has a full-on career, who has, you are you know, so smart, so opinionated, so creative, you are a force. <laughs> and I, I love that about you. And it does take a certain kind of man to also love and appreciate yeah. and encourage that and not Especially try after to 20 years. It. Yeah, it's for sure. And, you know, that's a really tricky one though, isn't it? Because I think we're so aware of that, that, you know, at times you can accommodate sort of you know slightly damp and like going oh I should turn that light down or I shouldn't be that kind of noisy or I shouldn't come into the room like that because it's difficult or annoying or you know or overwhelming but yeah for sure it does I don't think we're the easiest girls in the world but I, I do think we're great and I think they're great and I think we're all pretty goddamn lucky but yeah I mean Al is He's an amazing, amazing husband, incredible father, like insanely incredible father. Um, every single day we're trying to do better at it all. You know, it's never, I, I'm always astonished that I kind of thought when I was at school naively, oh, I'll leave school and everything will just be like this. Oh, I like, know, because we just geez, don't know. It's just never, not one day seems to have a sort of stability or a kind of like, oh, okay, Oh, I can finally like relax. I about know. That stability. 
It's always, so, and maybe it's our lives or maybe we create this or we bring the turmoil around us, but there's always something that you have to kind of accommodate or navigate or it's a work in progress, isn't it? Every single day it's like, okay, I learned that today and I was better yesterday at being that wife and oh God, I can be so much better tomorrow. I still feel like I don't know a lot, you know, and I think I feel like honestly, like I know nothing. Right. Well, and I, would, also, I mean, I wouldn't go that far. But it's funny, I said to my daughter a few years ago, I was like, God, I'm just like, like we talk, you know, when we're putting them to bed, because in the morning we do school round and then at night we sort of really try and always put them to bed and stuff and chat. That's when you get a cuddle and a chat. And um, each. Are you still getting my, cuddles? That's what about, what about. Well, I'm getting from, cuddles off two of them, two out of four. And f- what about Bailey and Miller? Having, Bailey's not having any of it. She will barely yes. look me in the eye. Um, yeah. Beck Miller is, is he'll, he'll give me a a bit of a cuddle but I always take it too far and he's like like I'll always just go I can feel it I'm always like two seconds too far and I'm always like I should have pulled out I should have pulled out one second before um but it's amazing they're all so different my kids and I'm sure yours are too but those conversations are sort of they're gold you know they're gold dust they're they're everything and I remember saying to Bailey when she would talk to me um God, I wish, you know, I learned something today. And, and I was like, I wish I'd learned that 10 years ago. And my only job really is to try and make you learn it 10 years before I've learned it. Like, I feel like that's my main job in life is to try to get my kids to learn the lessons I'm learning earlier than I have. So with your, with your kids, you've kept them out of the public eye as well. Is mm-hmm. that on purpose? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Because, you know, my thing is, is like, it's not my, it's not for me to expose my children to the world. If they want to get exposed, I agree. then they can expose themselves. It's not my decision. Like, that is really yeah. out of order. That could really I mess agree. them up. It's not my place to do so. Having said that, we were on the cover of American Vogue, but I had to ask them all Well, you for can make that exception if they wanted to do it. Well, I had to ask, they were all old enough for me to ask, and I didn't realize it was going to be the cover of American Vogue, because I, I just thought that Annie Leibovitz was just taking this lovely picture of my, me and my family, and then they decided to do that, and I couldn't really, I just, it was such an honor, and it was so amazing. And yes. they were all like, yeah, you know, by that age, they were so excited. Um. But yeah, no, I, I, they're definitely not, reckon, you know, they're not recognizable at all. But I also have to say, you know, I don't know how interesting I am anymore. It's not, you know, they're, they're, I kind of, I'm not, I, I'm, I don't know, like I'm not out there much. No, it's, you're not like paparazzi fodder, right? Yeah. But the, my, my, my point is, is like, it's a conscious choice to keep your kids or one's kids out of the the public eye and I remember last time we were in London and we all went to the circus yes do you remember that yeah. and then um it was like with all of our kids it was like wrangling oh, cats or God, something you know what's so sad though I have to say something that is my great friend um Ellie Gifford and she passed away from breast cancer oh, and that no. is a very sad reality of this conversation and she did this amazing circus called Gifford Circus as you know because you came yep and, um, oh, incredible. It's so sad. You just remind me. Her little babies lost her. And she was great. Amazing. Mm. Well, Sorry if that put a spanner in this... the works, but I guess that's what we're here to talk about. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's a good place for us to start to talk about this, which yeah. is um, your commitment and your advocacy 
with breast cancer awareness. And as long as I've known you, you've been advocating for sustainability and breast cancer awareness. Um, In fact, I didn't even know what a sustainable company was, or I didn't know much about sustainability until you started speaking about it. So I want to talk to you a bit about your advocacy overall. Where do you think that desire came from to help people and to help the world? Oh, that sounds good. Um, I would say... (laughs) I've really thought about what I'm going to ask you to make sure that you are perceived as the awesome woman you are. Um, Well, I think, again, you know, growing up to the parents that I grew up with and growing up on an organic farm, um, being lucky. And so I saw the seasons. I understood organic farming. You know, still, actually, I'm an organic farmer now. And um, I can talk about farming and drainage and, you know... Oh, I love that. And, you know, I can talk about all that stuff. And and I love that. I think I find it so interesting. So I, I grew up with that awareness and that conversation at the dinner table. My parents were like the first members of the Soil Association in England, one of the first organic farms in this country. And um, it was always such a fascinating conversation to, to listen to and to learn so much. And then obviously we grew up um, vegetarians and my mum started a um you know a um a plant-based brand substitutes for sausages and and burgers in 1991 so she was like oh and my, my god my, so you know, ahead of the amazing, game she was epic really in that she um she was so sort of not allowed to be who she was you know she wasn't allowed to not wear makeup she wasn't allowed to not shave her legs she wasn't allowed to wear culottes and cowboy boots to ride her horse or she wasn't allowed to be Why vegetarian. Not? She wasn't allowed to be married to Paul McCartney because she wasn't the conventional wife of, or, you know, that, that didn't look like that. It still doesn't really look like that. I mean, which wives of some of the most famous people in the world look like that or have those conversations? Um, but she was so inspiring and just gentle in her sort of delivery and so passionate about animals, really. It all started with loving animals. So I grew up with that, you know, and, and that um, really shaped my perspective. And then I was lucky enough to go on tour and like travel the world. So I really saw that the world was the world and that actually people in Uruguay looked the same as people in New York. And actually they kind of, they were all the same kind of crowd that was reacting to the same songs of my dad. So I kind of, I don't know, I grew up kind of with you saw a, that we were connected. A, quite an interesting perspective on it all. And then when it came to me having my own career, I was like, well, I can't do leather handbags and I can't do leather shoes because you're killing animals. And that's like ridiculous. I'm such a hypocrite if I do that. And so that's how it started. And then it just grew because then there was a UN report that announced that eating animals and animal ag- agriculture was just massively to blame for the you know, destruction of the planet. That 100 football pitches or soccer pitches, as you would say, are cut down. No, I say hour. football. I still say football. Football. Um, every hour, 100 football pitches are cut down and the, you know, the equivalent of, of football pitches are cut down in the Amazon rainforest for cattle farming. You know, so things like that started to come through. Pieces of information, it was like, oh my God. Well then what, you know, okay, I'm not using leather, but obviously I'm not using fur. But talk to me about plastic. Talk to me about how I can recycle fabrics. How, what about my cotton? Can it be organic? How, what about regenerative cotton? Like what about these knitwear what about if we don't do wool or if we don't do cashmere or if we don't you know how can we get a better wool that's kinder to animals so it just 
was like, an, you know, once you open up that door, it's, it's a dark room to walk into. So that was that side. And then obviously the breast cancer sadly was from experience. You know, I lost the most inspiring woman on earth to breast cancer. And my children never met her and my husband never met her. And, you know, half the people watching this don't know who the hell she was. And it's like, shit, you know, it was horrific, horrific. And so I feel really strongly that I need to let people know that breast cancer can be avoided. If she'd found that earlier, she would be alive today. And that's not, you know, that's massively important. You know, we have to prevent women from dying from breast cancer, especially now in COVID when people aren't going in to get checked. You know, the numbers, there's millions of women just have dropped out of, of the kind of, you know, self-detection or detection. And it, it's terrible. You know, we have to have this conversation. So you were 27 when your mom died and your mom was... She was 57. Which is so young. Um, yeah. You said that had she have found it earlier, she may not have died. So what happened? What was her story? I don't think she wanted to find it. You know, I think she probably kept it to herself. She then went to a doctor that just misdiagnosed it. And she didn't, you know, it was that, it was so different then. It was so different then. It was so like taboo. Like you, people, you know, people didn't talk about breast cancer. I mean, I've just done a, you know, now we talk about periods. We talk about, you know, well, contraception. We talk about different, you know, the female body, genders. by the way. We talk about touching your breasts, you know. There's been a real shame and stigma about anything connected to the female body. Breasts. Yeah. I mean, I say it to my kids uterus, vaginas. Exactly. Vagina is one of my favorite words. No, Mine I mean, too. I said to my son uncomfortably the other day, literally a couple of weekends ago, I'm like, and I'm really that awful mum. I'm like, okay, how do you all feel about pubic hair? Because I did this whole thing where I was so devastated that obviously porn now, there's no pubic hair. And I was like, and, and kids are getting their sex ed from porn, unfortunately, yeah, so I was which like, is a completely okay, unrealistic the, I, example. I bought the domain for bringbackthebeaver.com because I was like, I'm <gasps> going to do something about this. And then luckily it became fashionable to have body hair again. I was like, okay, I won't add that to my plate. But um, I have those conversations with my kids. I'm like, okay, are you going to have pubic hair or are you not going to have pubic hair? Why are you, the other day with with my son? I was like, why is it that nipples are like rude? Because we were swimming naked together. Because I'm, I'm like, I'm really adamant that I have to keep them being. I mean, probably a bit old, but you know, I want. I'm so I grew up so naked all the time, and Same. so like, I, you know, there's a conversation there, obviously about how free you feel and what's appropriate. Obviously, it's changed now, but anyway, I was like, why is that rude, and why is this not rude? And it's all, you know, why are all the sexual organs sort of taboo, and why can't we talk about them? And why, and why are they, why are they, you know, why are they can only sexualized yeah. as opposed to, I mean, I also swim naked with my kids and specifically with my son. Mm. And I, sort I of do it to go out of my way to be like, this is what we look like. For right. Real. <laughs> and, and an older woman as well. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's important to me that he sees a body that has carried three children, yeah. him being one of them. And, ah! you know, he's, <laughs> he sees what an older body's like. But I also had to, you know, his dad said to me at some point, you know, I don't know if it's appropriate that, that mm -hmm. Sylvan see you naked anymore. And I said, well, I'm just going to ask him. And I said, do you feel uncomfortable um, if I'm naked around you? And he was like, no, I don't care. Yes, and mom. so I had to go by that. Is your, is your son I comfortable? I am uncomfortable, mum. And can you stop it? Um, 
No, no, no. It depends which one. But no, I don't. I mean, I haven't asked them. That's a good question. I haven't really let them have a decision. They in just that, asked in if that. I could put clothes yeah. on when their friends come over, which of yeah. course I'm going to. I haven't done that either. <laughs> I just presume that they're quite into it. <laughs> I mean, you know, going to get cancelled at some stage, this conversation, like something's not allowed to be talked I know about. something's well I mean inevitably with you and I we are going to say something that <laughs> this we is shouldn't. us being good okay we're being really good okay <laughs> so let's go back to um breast cancer and Stella cares because I want you to talk a little bit about this your organization and what you do and also why you decided to partner with Victoria's Secret on this initiative yes well so Stella Cares is split into two, Stella Pink and Stella Green. Uh, the green is the sustainable side, which is very much to create policy change, incentives in the industry of fashion to actually be more green and to really kind of, you know, dissect what work needs to be done in making the business of fashion cleaner. And the pink side really at the moment is, so I did this thing, um, I was with Angelina Jolie and she had just had her, had her double mastectomy and we were having tea and she was like, you really need to sort out these mastectomy bras because they're so horrific and, you know, and they're horrible. They make, make you feel so unfeminine. They're so unsexy. Just, they're just painful. They're horrible. And, and, you know, they just make you feel even worse when you're going through the worst thing ever. And obviously I saw my mum wear them and the, everything was wrong about it. I was like, my God, you know, she's getting burnt here. She's getting cut up there. And on top of it all, you've lost all your sort of femininity. You've lost, you know, how can I make women feel beautiful? Because there's such a deep connection between you know, their sexuality, their relationships, their own self-relationship with their own bodies. It was so kind of layered. And I was like, yes, absolutely. I must do that. So I decided to make a double mastectomy bra that was beautiful and organic because a lot of those bras are not made out of organic materials and for me like if you're going through those horrific horrific operations you want to have the, your skin touched with something that feels it hasn't got chemicals or it's not you know not going to add to your discomfort so I went home and um, we made at work a double mastectomy bra and the aim for the pink really is to give away every single woman on earth that has to go through a double mastectomy um, she will be given a bra for free. So that is the the intent of the pink side of the foundation. And um, we're on a really good track. And actually, Victoria's Secret have given us an amazing donation. So it's thanks to them also for, you know, being part of that story. And on one hand, I've just been, I've really been trying to communicate as well the conversation of breast cancer, not only obviously how many women are dying from this every year, but also the communities that are just destroyed and, and broken. And, and I feel that I'm kind of one of them. And I'm um, trying to have that conversation in a way that isn't sort of sugar-coated. So, you know, we did this bra and my teams were trying to take photos of it for social media so we could launch it and we could talk about it. And they sort of had the bra on, you know, on, on a clothesline. And it was all sort of, and I was like, no, 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 I need to see this on women. I want to see their scars. I want to hear their stories. And I'm not going to apologize for this. And we need to really like, you know, people need to see this to know that this the is not okay and that this is real. So we've come at it in a really, in a great way, I think. And we've, we've done a double mastectomy bra with Adidas now. So we've gotten into like sportswear. Wow. We're working with swimwear one. So it's really just trying to kind of bring this into these women's lives, you know, so they can live their life and they can still feel like a woman. 
Yeah, that was a very long answer. I do apologize. No, it was it's great because when I think about actually, you know, fashion is your or I wouldn't even say fashion, design is your vehicle mm. to communicate and to share your mission. Yeah, I yeah, I'm very lucky in that sense. I'm so privileged, Amanda. I've I've had such a privileged upbringing and I've been placed on this earth god knows why but i was given a pretty good entry point into the situation and i just think i feel like what i'm gonna i'm not gonna do anything with that like i've been I, i'm so lucky that if people are interested or would pay attention to me saying something then i want to make it something that number one i really believe in and i'm not going to bullshit and i'm not going to lie about i'm not going to greenwash it i'm going to try and be as honest as i can because i'm not perfect but I'm trying to learn, you know? And so I think um, I, d I wouldn't do, I wouldn't be able to go to work if I didn't do these things that really help. But also I feel so proud because, you know, we're, we're a modern brand in the sense that people want to work in a brand like this. You know, young people, I think, really feel proud that they're working for a brand that would talk about breast cancer awareness. And a lot of fashion brands do, actually. To give our industry credit, we do. We are good at breast cancer awareness, I think. But it's part of the DNA of your company. I mean, your this is your your company has been it's alive for twenty years now, and yeah. advocacy has been built into your company because it comes from you, and that is part of your life and your world and part of who you are. We've all seen companies who are, um, you know either coming to a realization that that is something that's really, that they need to find something that's important to them. And I never yeah. think it's too late. I don't care. Whenever people get the message I and agree. they want to do something. And I've been looking at your what you've been doing for so long and, and the partnership with VS and how they have supported this yeah. mastectomy bra is, is yeah. fantastic because women in every single country around the world are suffering from breast cancer. I mean, it's huge, actually. And also, it's so brilliant in a sense that, you know, VS, are, they're a young brand, you know, like they've always been young, you know, young girls want to buy into that brand. Yes. So talking to that generation for this kind of conversation is critical because I think almost shaming your mum or your aunt or your grandma into checking herself, like, you know, that's really great. You know, if we can sort of sit and be heard by young women or young, you know, and they're like, you know what, damn, I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my mum or ask my mum when, when was she last checked or like make her, I'm going to go with her and I'm going to sit there while she, you know, those kind of things. I mean, it would be amazing if we could get to a stage as a society where actually checking yourself or going to get checked became like a community thing or it became something that you're proud of, that you were loud about that you were like, I'm going to go and get a mammogram today. I love like, that. Instead of Botox parties, we could have breast yeah, check parties. Breast cancer party, yeah. And actually, it's funny, I've been talking to, to my guys about it for years. We're like, you know, I'd love our stores to be these communities. So I, th I think we'd love to kind of work to that. But I think it's really important to talk to young men and men about this too. Um, just because I think all those taboos need to be, they need, you know, more than ever, we're having conversations about hard hitting topics in the world. We're allowed to now. And I think we've really got to give men permission to be part of this conversation because, you know, your husband's got to say, when did you get checked? How won't get mad at you when you didn't? Or just say, it's not, you know, this isn't about you. This is about all of us. Well, that's actually what happened to me um, over yeah. COVID. And I was, uh, you know, I, I shared this with you, but I had a lump that I found and 
you know, not to be too detailed about it, but you know, mm. my husband touches my breast more than I do. And so oh, I said to you. him after 20 years, <laughs> after 20 what? years. Yeah. Yes. Still. Oh, mine mm-hmm. does too. Mine oh, does too. Of course. We can talk more about that. But I was like, does this feel normal to you? Is this, you, is this normally here? And he was like, yeah. mm, it doesn't actually feel like it's normally there. And so I was able to kind of check back with him weirdly. And, wow. uh, and I, you know, and he took me and I got it checked and oh. it was inconclusive. And then I had to have, so that was a sonogram. And then I had to yeah. go get a mammogram and mm-hmm. an ultrasound. Yeah. And this went on over a three month period because they Ooh. had to come back and check it. And that's have it month- in your family, Amanda. No. And have so. Have you had it tested for the gene? No. May as well give it a go. May as well. I mean, yes, but I, I never had an experience. Anyway, tell me with, what happened. I interrupted you. So. I, I never had an experience. I never had to think yeah. about it because yeah. no one close to me had it, no family Great. member. And suddenly I was thinking, oh, what does this mean? And what if? And for that three month period, I was really terrified. Oh, Jesus, and that's a long time. It, it really was. And luckily it turned out to be absolutely fine. Yeah. But it really made me think about how I'm someone who's aware, who reads things, mm. who's, you know, pretty educated about about my own mental and physical health. And I realized mm. I knew so little. Yeah. And what I realized is that women younger and younger are getting diagnosed with breast cancer. So in fact, saying, oh, you need to wait till you're 50 or 45 yeah, to get a mammogram, mm. that age needs to be younger, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, look, the great thing about this conversation is self-care and sort of checking yourself is free of charge. You don't have to go anywhere for it. You know, you don't need to know a lot. You can just go online and find a video or some kind of way of knowing. And any, yeah, you must start that. Jesus, as soon as you are aware of it, you know, there's no age on that. Um, but yeah, absolutely. This is not reserved, sadly, for older women. It's just not. And also, there's, you know, it's interesting. I did, so I would, I would do with my lingerie range. I would do each season, and I do, um, I make a pink bra or pink set, underwear set, and proceeds, some proceeds for that go toward breast cancer awareness as well. And in doing that, I had Kate Moss did the first one, and then Chelsea Handler did it, Cara did it. And then I was like, wait, I'm not, oh, sorry. Like, you know, let's talk about race here, because I've got all these sort of, you know, friends doing it. But look, what happens with black women and breast cancer? And I found out that I was like, like 80% higher mortality rate in black women because of the stigma attached in getting checked and the kind of taboo of having those conversations. So then Alicia Keys very kindly became my next awareness on that. And her mother actually had had breast cancer twice. Um, Thank God she's still with us. But it was amazing, the, the kind of knowledge that, yeah, we don't know. I mean, I never would have known that, you know, and then going to all these centers in, in Harlem, I went to this great center, Sloan Kettering Center in Harlem, um, in that community. And I was like, it was a, it's a free sc- breast screening center and nobody knows about it because in America, people don't know about free. the resources, you know, people don't know about it in America. Nothing's for free in health. And I was like, how do you get the community in? Like, how do you let people know it's church, word of mouth, you know, so that it, it, it's the kind of thing you don't want to know about, you know, like we don't want to know this information. Um, but you don't want to find out about it when it's, you know, when it's too late. It's the yeah, reality. absolutely. Well, I really hope that this partnership that you're doing uh, with VS will allow mm. 
that disinformation to be shared widely and, and mm. globally um, because the more people that know about this and know about the work that you're already doing, the better. Um, well, I want to go back to I want to go back to um, COVID time. And um, I was, you know, it was so interesting. Like, I know you well and for a long time. So I, I never sort of researched my friends and I think I miss so much of what they do. Um, yeah. You know, I had to interview Gwyneth for some lifetime achievement thing and I had no idea she'd done so many movies. I could only name like three of them. Um, and so <laughs> I had to do three. <laughs> We're not even going to get into that. But <laughs> but um, but so I was re I was doing all this research on you and realizing oh my gosh, you have done so much. What an incredible oh. um, career and, and life that you've had, which I, I knew. But, but one of the things that I loved reading um, was that you had said during COVID that you had rewritten a mission for yourself. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about, well, you said you, said you had written a personal manifesto. Yeah. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. I just sort of couldn't sleep. Well, actually, you know what it was is I had two weeks when COVID kind of locked down in the UK. I was lucky enough to go to our farm and have all our kids around. And it was two weeks before this kind of reality came into play where you just went to back-to-back -back meetings on, on a computer. And I was kind of like, God, what? I just had a moment to pause. And I, I was sort of said to myself, why would you come to my fashion house? Like, why... Does this world need the brand Stella McCartney? Is this really important? Like, is this necessary? And I found myself just saying, God, you know what, actually, if this isn't important in my industry to do the work that I'm really doing and not just talking about doing, but really, really doing here, I was just like, you know, I've got to, because until my business model is replaced in my industry by the, by the majority, then I really have work to do. Um, and so then I sort of thought, well, what is it that I do? And what is it that, that we do here and that we believe in here? And so then I wrote this manifesto. And the manifesto, can you share what was in that? Or a little bit of it? It actually became, a, yeah, it, it became actually what we did was we made it into an alphabet. So it's the A to Z of of words that we stand for and that we believe in so um a is for accountability um c is for conscious um z is for zero waste o is for organic um m is for mindful k is for kindness so i just sort of we did we put a, a word that we believed was really important to our core values we put it into an alphabet and then we put a, we did a collection that was all all sustainable so we'd made dresses out of all of the old prints that we have held on to at Stella because most fashion brands burn them or they bury them and we kept them and so it was great I was like finally I can use all these prints and so we made these zero waste dresses out of sort of I think each dress had like nine prints nine different seasons in it and my team were like we can't do that because we're going to run out of print and the buyers might want X amount of dresses and we might only be able to give them, you know, five. And I was like, great, let's only give them five. Limited edition. I don't care. Like, you know, we had, and it was just such a great, it was just a great way to reset, reset what we believe in here, you know, because sometimes business just kind of takes over. And um, it's, it was great. It's been really enjoyable. And we're, you, you know, we use it all the time now. When you were talking about realizing that you, you know, 
the, what your mission and what your, your company stands for, even that experience of doing these limited edition, did it make you rethink how you do business? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm always resetting and, and rethinking here. It's like I might get uncomfortable if I do stuff too, you know, I'm always like, oh, that feels a bit comfortable. Let's change it. So I'm sort of a bit of a nightmare in that respect. But um, well, you're I'm you're nine, a risk, I, you're a you're a rule you're a risk taker. I'm a risk. You taker. are. I'm a rule breaker. There you should be are. a song. <laughs> there probably um, is. Well, that, I'll take that as a bloody compliment. I'll tell you, actually, that is a huge compliment. Um, thank you. It is because uh, people get afraid and they want to stay in the same thing because it is yeah. work to be to move the system, move yeah. the setup, and get people to actually adjust to what you're thinking in a different way. That is a lot of work for a for an entire company. It is a lot of work. And my company will be the people that work with me here will be the first people to agree with you. <laughs> and I drive them crazy. And, and it is so much work. And sometimes they need to tap me on the shoulder and go, whoa, slow down, Stella. Like, we're still doing what you told us to do a year ago. We're still, you know. But um, yeah, for me, it's like, it's been really exciting. So in that period, we kind of ran out of waste. Like all, you know, we had old t-shirts that maybe kind of got, you know, were were no longer relevant and we would, they were going to sale or, you know, and I was just like, let's use up all our waste. And so we kind of used up, we've used up all our waste now here in, in the brand. So now I'm like, okay, I'm going to use somebody else's waste. So we're doing that now. Wait, you're getting materials from other yeah. companies. Yeah. So now oh I'm using God. other people's waste. I want to just talk quickly about the complete bullshit myth about women having it all because I think that needs to be abolished from our language because parenting, having a relationship, taking care of yourself and having a job, doing it without something suffering or something yeah. taking a hit at some point, it's impossible. And yeah. I wanted to get your perspective on that. Well, I mean, I think we all as working mums or, I mean, if you bring the parenting thing in, you're constantly, you don't ever feel like you're delivering. If you're working, you don't feel like you're delivering on being a good enough parent and you're not there enough. And if you're not at work, you're not there enough. So you sort of constantly, I don't know, for me personally, I'm constantly torn that I didn't stay in the office until 12 o'clock to finish the hemline of a dress because I wanted to get home to put my kids to bed at seven and cuddle them. So no, I don't think anyone, I mean, does anyone have it all though? I mean, no. really like what? And by the way, what is having it all? What exactly. What does that even look like? Exactly. I don't even know if I want it all. <laughs> I, I don't want it all. I'm so good to go. Like, you know, I'm, I'm happy with nothing in a field as long as I've just got those little babies and my hubby, my loved ones. Like, you know what? Health is wealth. I couldn't agree with you more. And knowing that you that that is the most important thing to you means that anything else is just a gift on top of it I because you're you, good with the baseline. Health is wealth. It is literally all that we have. You have nothing if you don't have your health. And if you don't have love and health, I am right now in this moment feeling my love and friendship for you and I'm healthy and, uh, you know, I could want for nothing more. You're very good at this, Amanda. But this is what you do. You're quite major, aren't you, babe? I'm so proud of you. Thank you. And I love you, Amanda. I love you, Stella. This is VS Voices, a brand new original podcast series by Victoria's Secret. Listen here or wherever you get your podcasts. 